Good morning. Wonderful to be with everyone this morning. It uh, is a sweet privilege to be here uh, with so much history of Amy's family and uh, her grandma and pup-pup who had been at this uh, chapel for many years and were invested in. And I am now raising a, a family that's part of a very godly legacy. And I have the, the, the ministry of Terrell Road uh, to thank tremendously as part of that, as part of my wife's, wife, wife Amy's family. Uh, so I'm Kevin, Amy is my wife, and uh, George and Donna Bristow are my in-laws, just to, so if anybody didn't know that, who are in Turkey. And we had actually been in Jordan the last time we were here five years ago. And uh, a lot's changed in five years, probably for everybody and for uh, the world. But I'm very struck by this passage this morning. The word of our Lord shall stand forever. So many things change in our world. And yet the endurance of, of the word, the, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And to that, we are grateful. And uh, this morning will be... Uh, I'll be sharing with you from Acts chapter 5, continuing with your series in, in Acts. It's a, uh, an honor to be a part of that and to walk through the book of Acts, the growth, the birth and the growth of the early church, the continuation of Luke's gospel. And uh, in the second part of the message, I'll just share a little bit with you about the ministry that the Lord has put before us and how that has changed in the last couple of years, but uh, the exciting things that uh that the gospel on the move is uh, producing. So let's uh, let's pray. Let's give thanks and uh, and pray this morning uh, for the ministry of the word. Pray with me and pray for me, Heavenly Father. Thank you for this new day. Thank you for your mercies, new every day. We thank you for your word that endures forever. Today and this morning, open our eyes, O Lord, to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Through, uh, through your word and the hope that comes with uh, longing for his return. I pray you use me this morning for the ministry of your word, and I pray that we would all have soft hearts to believe and to obey you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 5. The purified people of God can withstand and even grow in the midst of the most heinous threats. You see, if we break down this chapter into to roughly two parts, the awesome presence of God and the presence of God with his people and the zeal for the holiness of his people. We see that in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, a notorious story of Ananias and Sapphira that uh, has long been one of perhaps fear and troubling, but also of maybe confusion. Why would this uh, swift judgment come so quickly? Then uh, we move into an, kind of a, a, a tag in the story, a summary of the, the spreading of signs and wonders as the, the church in Jerusalem is growing day by day, day by day, numbers of believers being added. And then comes conflicts, conflict with the authorities. Once again, opposition. Luke as he writes the gospel and as he um, tells the account of the early church, certainly has in his mind Jesus' promise that he will build his church 
and the gates of hell will not prevail. And yet we feel, we feel this as we read the, the saga unfolding. The gates of hell are knocking on, on the church. And all through this, we can be rest assured that the church not only survives, but thrives in this very hostile setting. God's mission is carried along by a spirit-filled people, a blood-bought people who are zealous for good works in the midst of great hostility. And the, as you might know, the book of Acts is somewhat of a continuation, or we could say a sequel to uh, Luke's gospel. It's not an appendix, as some have suggested, but rather a vital part of the story, the gospel story, and going into all the earth, starting with and all authority belonging to the Lord Jesus. Go, the commission is, into all the earth to proclaim, to teach, to baptize, and lo, I will be with you always till the end of the age. In Jerusalem, where our story uh, continues here in chapter 5, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts unfolds in this way as you are starting to see and as we are starting to go through this we see now the church in, in, in Jerusalem, um, the background last week of um, the life of the church, the spirit-filled life of the church, the testimony of the resurrection that is being proclaimed on the streets, in homes, in the temple, uh, and many are coming to know him. And all of a sudden, as we get into this uh, this chapter, there is a conflict, a massive conflict. For the first time, perhaps since, since, uh, since Judas, there's a, there's a conflict in the church. Our holy God is zealous for a purified people, this uh, saga tells us. The world fears this. Now, we begin in the story with Ananias and Sapphira, and with his wife's knowledge, he keeps back for himself. A very key part of this uh, this story is this idea that Ananias does not have to uh, give this. He is looking for honor, but is not actually worthy of, of honor in that he keeps back for himself. He is dev- wanting to get the honor for devoting everything to the Lord, and yet he is keeping everything really in terms of his heart back from the Lord. This story definitely conjures up even the word in in uh, in Greek is the word used in uh, the book of Joshua in the Greek translation for when Achan, the notorious sin of Achan, when he holds back for himself some of the spoil that was mo- meant to be devoted uh, to the Lord. It was not a, a, a free-for-all, uh, everybody grab everything and take what you want. It was to be devoted to the Lord. And of course, we hear echoes of uh, the Genesis 3 account, the ancient reality of sin, uh, the original sin in the church here with the wife's knowledge. Uh, and yet here we see it's with money and possessions. The, um, and, and many observations of how the, the church has a witness in the world. Often some of the objections are with the way that the church misses, misuses money and possessions and let it be a, a bit of a, a warning for us that we see a parallel here with uh, Ananias 
Sapphira, going back to Achan, going all the way back to the fall, uh, that our, our sin nature desires to rule over this, this people of God, desi- desires to exert, it, exert itself in our midst. And yet with the Spirit being filled with the Spirit, the antidote to that, being filled with the Spirit. Even it says in, in uh, Peter's rebuke, why has Satan filled your heart? What a red flag all of a sudden. This is a Spirit-filled people of God. Why has Satan filled your heart? What happened? A Satan-filled couple after we've heard of the tremendous work of the Spirit-filled, enabled, empowered church? This powerful opposition against the church is beginning, and it's beginning from within. But as we know from from many from many appearances of the Lord, the appearance of the Lord is a purifying one, and here they are, people proclaiming the appearance of God for salvation that He has appeared and will appear again. Unpurity will not be able to stand in this in this congregation, and we remember even uh, earlier in Luke's account that. Jesus said to Peter, the very Peter here standing and rebuking this couple, Satan, Peter, has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you, and you will strengthen your brothers. And we see that Satan here is on the offensive, going after the very core of the church's integral identity. We see that very much so in the earlier chapter. Where is their identity? Where is their source of power? It's in the spirit-filled serving of one another. It's in the spirit-led testimony and witness to the risen Lord Jesus. And here is Satan attacking right at the core, the core of one's heart. Instead of being filled with the spirit, they're filled with Satan. Peter says, did it not remain your own? Their sin of masquerading and desiring honor without actually a heart devoted to God. Peter says, you have not lied to men, but to God. In Proverbs, we hear the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And that notion, I think, of, of wisdom and the fear of the Lord will come here in a few, um, in a few uh, verses later with Gamaliel. And here we have it. Fell down, verse 5, Ananias and Sapphira both fell down and breathed their last. First, Ananias breathed his last. God's visitation and judgment, swift and total judgment, a clear message to the church, a clear message to God's holy people. My holiness is serious. And it reminds us of all these ringing, these ringing bells here of God's visitation of his people and holiness. Isaiah, woe is me when he is... Uh, do I dwell in the, I, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. Moses on the mountain, Ezekiel, his vision, his, his heavenly vision, this uh, rapture into, into the very throne room of God and Abraham, their visitations are one in which holiness, uh, an alien holiness, one in which we ourselves don't have, but which God provides. Woe is me. His presence is dangerous. And we see a difference here between Ananias and Sapphira and how they react and the rest of the church and how they react to God's holiness. Even Barnabas himself being the kind of flip side of the story, as we read earlier or last week, 
who sold a field that belonged to him and brought all the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And now here is Ananias and Sapphira laying dead at the apostles' feet. What a bitter irony. He who desires to exalt himself above the Lord will fall. We ask the question, and we should, have we ever viewed deception as a test of the Holy Spirit, as an actual testing, not in a, not in a testing or proving, but in a way of tempting the Holy Spirit? James tells us God does not tempt. Absolutely, for no way. That's not in all, all, at all in his character. Who is the source of all life and holiness? It's the Spirit of God. And this Christian community in Jerusalem is, is testimony to that. God's presence is the source of life and holiness. And we'll actually see that even as the chapter concludes. In verse 11, it tells us that as a result of this judgment, great fear fell upon all those who heard. Upon the whole church. And even the implication is upon the unbelievers in the town of, in the city of Jerusalem. You know, we, we, Everybody has seen these lists of like funny fears in the world, like fear of folding chairs or fear of, you know, really bizarre things. And they always have the word phobia attached to them. And the ones I could only think of off the top of my head that I actually know were claustrophobia, arachnophobia. And then uh, I suppose that was, that was the only two I could think of, but there are funny long lists that go on and on about like different fears these odd lists, but this, this word in the text says Phobos Megas. I think we all can realize what that means. Mega fear falls upon the church. And not only the church, but this word spreads very quickly. This is a holy people. Do not mess with their God. Only true believers should be in this. This is so dangerous. This is so awe-inspiring that if I see that, I can be awe-inspired, but it's, a, it's somewhat of a warning for the false convert. This church, this growing people of God, is not just a social phenomenon. The great fear occurs because it's a demonstration of God's holiness and a presenta- presentation of, through his people of a, his character as a holy God and a purified people. You know, in 1 Corinthians 6, it says uh, this long list of sins that of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. But Paul says, and such were some of you. This is not a warning to anyone who would be a sinner to not come in. It's actually a saying, sinners who have been purified, welcome. But if you're a sinner and you hold back, be in fear. This is now the first time in the, in the unfolding story of the church that the, the distinction is made upon the people of God and those who are on the outside. We have the word use ecclesia, ecclesia, and in the Greek, that word would have been translated assembly or congregation. Fear comes upon the whole church. We see the rattling, the beginning. The church is in Jerusalem, but it is soon to be on the move. And in the signs and wonders being performed among the people, we see an amazing answer to prayer in the earlier chapter. They prayed. And we can see in just a page over in my Bible, 
They prayed, you stretch out your hand to heal, O Lord, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And here, signs and wonders were done regularly by the people, among the people, excuse me, by the hands of the apostles. And it says, again, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Can you imagine people surrounding a church building or people surrounding the people of God and saying, those are holy people. We dare not enter unless we are holy people as well. And this church is saying, we are holy people because of the blood-bought reality of the cross. We are holy people because of what Jesus has done for us. The, The author of life, the giver of life and holiness. And amazingly, the believers were added to the Lord. How's that for a strategy? Added to the Lord, people are purified, and God does the work. The Holy Spirit is at work. And listen to this. People were even carried out into the streets. The sick and the infirm were, and so that the apostles would lay their hands on them. And some people, even that Peter, as he came by, his shadow would fall on some of them. Now, this is not stating that actually Peter's shadow was the source of healing, merely that people believed the expectations of the crowds were very much similar to the expectations of the crowds that would push up, push upon Jesus, would, would push into a house so much so that the only way someone could be healed was to take apart the roof that they could come down. The expectation here is that the apostles have this ministry and this power of the risen Lord Jesus. And then comes conflict. The high priest rose up in verse 17. Oh, already we should be very suspect of the high priest raising up the whole um, gospel of John, this word of Jesus being lifted up. He said, I will be lifted up. And bring many to myself. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So I too must be lifted up. High and lifted up. And here is the high priest. Rising up. And all who are with them. Filled with jealousy. Oh, the church filled with the Holy Spirit. The high priest and all their false congregation. Rising up. Filled with jealousy. They arrest the apostles. The same Lord who has given purity to his people, righteousness to his people. Already we have hints that with joy, he will sustain those even in bitter opposition. They are spirit filled. They are wrath filled. They are jealous filled and they are arrested. They arrest the apostles and put them in a public prison using shame as a tactic to, to try to smash this this growing church, but it will not work. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. The angel says, as it release, as the angel releases the apostles from prison miraculously. Of course, v- massive verification and validation that they are true apostles in their witness. The angel of the Lord, again, visitation of God, the presence of God mediated by an angel. And then we have this character, 
the leader of this council, the one who's supposed to somewhat embody the wisdom of Israel. He's a, probably an elder to the elders in Israel. The high priest, Ananias, he questions them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach anyone in this name. And here you are filling Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man, Jesus's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles say, we must obey God rather than men. Ananias and Sapphira, they were more concerned about the, the honor among men than they were about God. And Peter and the apostles, we must obey God and not men. Here they have the power to kill them dead. They have the power to banish them, the power to arrest them, the power to beat them. And they say, to God be the glory. Here we stand. And we are witnesses to these things. So that the And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And here comes Gamaliel, a teacher of the law. This is actually Paul's teacher. We learn from the story of Paul's life. Held in high honor by all the people, he stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. Hmm. Hints of wisdom. But is it the right kind of wisdom? Is it the wisdom that begins with the fear of the Lord? And he tells about these stories of people that have risen up in times past and claimed to be some kind of Messiah or some kind of messianic figure. And every time their movement dies. And he says, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan is of man, it will fall. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And you will even be found opposing God. Wow, what irony. (laughs) He speaks, the prophet speaks. God is even using Gamaliel to show the supremacy of Christ. And they took it as advice and they called the apostles and they beat them. Now, this is a word not so much beat, but flogging. They severely beat them. And the apostles in the midst of their beating, what is their response? Joy. Great joy. A great joy that has overcome the people of God. Such that, can you believe this? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, that the Christ is Jesus. Remember, this is Jerusalem. These are Jews in Jerusalem who are longing for the Messiah, who said our whole history will culminate when Messiah comes. He will, be, he will triumph. And from Israel, from Jerusalem, the Jews will rule the nations. What irony, and yet what what joy. The Messiah has come, they've said. The Messiah rules. The Messiah is Jesus, and he was crucified and is risen. He is alive. And this is great joy. This is great joy in that they can teach and preach this reality to those in the city and know that just as the Messiah was to rule in Jerusalem, to rule the nations, he will rule in the hearts of the nations as the gospel continues to move. In conclusion, 
Purification in this story is leading to growth and persecution and leading to growth. It seems to come back around each time. We're going to see this pattern. God is zealous for his people. God is zealous for his mission. And he uses broken people for his mission. He uses a purified people for his mission. And in preparation for this message, I thought quite quite a lot on this topic. Does God care more about his mission or about his people and their purity? Or are they actually one and the same? God will use purified sinners in his mission. The Great Commission highlights this. All authority belongs to Jesus. All authority on heaven and earth, the King of Kings, Not one single thing that happens on square inch of planet earth escapes his authority. He is with us even until the end end of the age. And he says, go, because I have authority, go. And the community he knows will face many pressures on many fronts, even till today. The church grows through the purification of sinners. The church grows in the midst of great pushback on many fronts, on many levels. And this community that we're a part of, the the community of Christ, will face these things, will face difficulties, and we're called to be obedient in the midst of great, great trouble. And the love that which we have for one another and the love that we demonstrate because of what God has done for us will tell the world we are his holy and purified people. They will scoff and sneer and grind their teeth. And yet with great joy, we can always point to my hope has a resting place. My hope is built on the, on the blood purchase of the cross. And that through that lens, we look with expectant hope, not the kind of hope that says, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. The kind of hope that we say, this hope is blood bought. This hope drives us into the future where we can love one another and we can Proclaim the gospel, the the source of life and holiness to the world. Can I ask for the slide, Dan, please? A story uh, of today of somewhat more, uh, more along the lines, some things we see in the early church is the church growing in the country of Algeria. Over the past 20 years or so, there's been a a movement, a tremendous movement of many thousands of Muslims to Christ in Algeria. And it has been a a tremendous thing to read read about. There's an amazing book by uh, Marsh. Is it named uh, Mr. Marsh? I can't remember his first name, who was a a missionary in Algeria many years ago and uh, saw very little happening. Uh, And yet in the, I think it was starting in the late 80s or so, whole towns and villages in Algeria were having visions and dreams of Jesus. And there were missionaries that had sown the seeds of, of gospel hope for many years and had been kicked out. And all of a sudden people started to come to Christ and forgiveness of sins and repentance and worship broke out across the country and still does. And here in this picture are three brothers from Algeria all three from themselves, Muslim families who have actually in the, in the last few years become, uh, become believers. And I mean, few years in this movement is about 20 years old. Uh, 
all three of these men were born in Muslim families, but the guy with the sunglasses on, his parents were, were believers uh, back in the 90s. These three guys uh, came from uh, Algeria to visit us in Jordan when we were working on the agriculture project, and they wanted to learn a technique that they could use back in Algeria to reach Muslims, their countrymen, and neighboring country uh, Muslims for Christ. So they thought, we're a huge country. We're one of the biggest desert countries in the world. How could we use sustainable agriculture and these methods to reach Algerians for Christ? Uh, this guy on the far right here, he's actually Afro-Arab, and he lives in a, de a desert city. Like in the, Imagine the Sahara Desert. There's actually a city right in the middle of the Sahara Desert. He's from that city, and they don't grow any food there. But he thought when we got connected, what if we did some, some agriculture in the desert and it enabled us to preach the gospel to Algerians who have no church, no witness in this deep desert community. So they came to us in uh, March of 2020. And uh, you'll certainly remember that March of 2020 was a volatile month for the world. And they came just, just before uh, COVID lockdowns. But I'm going to tell a little bit about their story as it transitions into ours. God is using opposition in the world to triumph the gospel and to bring people to himself. And these three men are testimony to that. All three of them uh, studied at a Bible college in Algeria that is now actually officially locked. The government came a couple of years ago and put a huge chain around the building with a lock. And said, no, none may enter. Uh, the guy in the middle there, uh, he actually was the custodian of the building. And now they've had to move the Bible college underground, which they do. They, they meet in houses now and still continue to teach and train future pastors and missionaries. Another brother that they're close with that wasn't here uh, about a year and a half ago was arrested for a Facebook post that he had reposted something that was interpreted as a slanderous to the, the Islamic prophet Muhammad and was jailed for five years. The resolution or the resolve of these brothers through the midst of persecution, through the midst of great difficulty, they have no freedom of press. They have no freedom of uh, to meet together. They uh, have no uh, ability to build new buildings they have all very creative ways of moving around the country to proclaim the gospel and to, to teach. One of them even actually teaches other men how to have devotions with your family on Facebook. Very bold to do that and um, has been able to have a, a wonderful ministry that way. But what is their focus? And spending a, two weeks with these guys, their focus to me was so inspiring and so encouraging. Their focus and everything they do is how can we be a people of God that worship him, honor him in a crooked and twisted generation. And how can we send out evangelists into Africa? How can we send out evangelists into the, the Muslim North of Africa? How can we reach desert communities that have no gospel witness? And, you know, they don't talk about how to have vengeance and anger and how to write petitions and how to write blogs that will uh, see the release of these prisoners. I talked to this guy on the far left. He called me a couple of weeks ago and we were talking on the phone. He said, uh, because things have gotten so hard in Algeria, we've had to now move our prayer meetings and our worship time into the mountains 
So they move in small groups. They'll go and get a few families together and they'll drive into the mountains like to have a picnic and they will sing praise to the Lord Jesus, the one who has saved them and the one that knows them, the one that has cleansed them from sin and has given them a ministry, a burden to reach Muslims. It is a privilege to hear stories like this, to hear and be a part of even in prayer for the persecuted church and to see that the Lord is not silent and is not idle. He is moving, especially in places where we least expect. You can go to the next slide, please. So that's a little intro to our actual our conclusion in, in Jordan, which we didn't know it at the time. But in uh, March of 2020, just literally the day after these guys were able to get on a plane and leave to go back home to Algeria, the airport in Jordan closed where we had been serving for seven. I'd been there seven years, Amy and I together six. And uh, we had been involved in hydro aquaponics, which is a hydroponics and fish raising technology, all that we'd been able to uh, demonstrate water saving agriculture techniques and grow uh, clean, healthy vegetables using mostly fish waste, water, a little electricity and uh, a little sweat and tears too. The next picture, please. So that's what those Algerian guys came to learn to be trained in that system. And then they were going to uh, attempt to replicate it in some way or adapt it in some way to be used in Algeria. Uh, this is in J June of 2020. Uh, the hotel that had hosted our, our project and hosted the work that we had been involved with for the five years previous said, we actually are going to close the hotel indefinitely. We don't have any guests. Tourism is completely dried up. There, uh, the restrictions are so bad, we have to just cut the power and electricity. Well, at the same time, we were also planning to spend a year uh, back in the Chicago area doing a study furlough. I was going to, and I did, I completed a master's in biblical uh, studies and theology, which was a wonderful privilege. At the time, we had to, uh, had to close things down. Uh, and actually, we, no, none of us had been in a car for about three months in June of 2020. You couldn't drive. You couldn't really go to anywhere unless you had the coveted paper permission slips that really only doctors and a few government workers had. So on foot, I had to uh, continue to monitor the, the system. But when I talked to the owner of the hotel and said, we, because we can't have power and electricity anymore, uh, we need to really close things off. And so we, um, had a contact with a local pastor who's in the picture here on the left. And, uh, he works with, uh, his church works with widows and orphans in uh, a slum part of Oman. And we needed to move about 150 kilos of fish. So you know, like 300 pounds of live fish that we couldn't sustain anymore without electricity. So we asked the hotel, can we get a permission to get a van? We're going to fill up tubs with the fish and then we're going to close this, close the system down and uh, wrap up. And amazingly, the hotel gave us the van to use and they actually sent a videographer and they sent many people from the hotel to the unbeknownst to them, to this little church in the slums, uh, in the middle of Ramadan to, um, donate these fish, uh, through a, a Christian church. And for most of them, you could see this, the, the, on their faces, just being struck with there's, this is what a church is doing in the midst of Ramadan, in the midst of COVID they're going to get where you're, you're just raise these fish to give away to 
the poor didn't like make, make sense to any of them. And all of a sudden the videographer said to the pastor, can you please pray for us? And without skipping a beat, the pastor in this picture, I was able to get a picture as is such a brought tears to my eyes, the culmination of our five years project. He picks up the fish and gives thanks to the Lord that the Lord would multiply his provision in this neighborhood for the poor and would bless those who are listening with the knowledge of Christ. And it was a, it was a powerful moment. It was a sweet moment. I didn't realize that it was our last moment. Um, next picture, please. But it was the end of, uh, of a very good season of, of ministry for us. We also uh, became very close friends with a Muslim family that had converted um, the, the man in the middle of the picture there was a former imam or the leader of a, a mosque. He was the one that would give sermons and, and pray uh, or lead the people in prayer. But his almost his entire adult life, he said, I knew something just was not right. Islam was like a rock in my shoe. I just could just felt like there's not, something not right about this. He had master's degrees and multiple PhDs and went all over the Middle East to study Islam and to lead people in this uh, false hope. And uh, he did Bible studies for two years secretly with, um, with a, an Arab Christian leader in the country. And then slowly as he was growing in the knowledge of the word, he would uh, relay, relay the stories to his family, his nine, or his, excuse me, 11 children from two different wives that, and then brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles. And today there are upwards of 20 baptized believers in this man's family. We uh, just rejoiced because in our last few months, we became very close friends with them. They lived just around the corner from us. And uh, in the middle of COVID lockdowns, we actually kind of helped. Uh, they were split up as two families. And so that we fellowshiped together as best we could uh, with them and um, just loved reading and uh, praying with them and encouraging them in their young faith. They also have a fellowship now with others, Muslim background believers. And as you might've heard in the Middle East and in Jordan particularly, there's a very small Christian background minority with the majority of the country being Muslim. And so often when Muslims come to know Christ as savior, it's not so easy for them to just plug into a church. They often have to meet in homes due to backlash from family and even government will sometimes harass them for, for police will sometimes harass People who are known to be Muslims on their ID for going to church. But here we are filled with joy at this family, um, these little children. This girl in the corner right here, actually, she was just baptized last summer. Uh, she's 14 now. We filled with joy because they'd come to believe in the Lord. They'd come to believe in God, the true God, the God who has a son whose name is Jesus and he and his whole household in many ways, literally his whole household. Uh, honors the Lord. So we pray for them. We call them the Osama family because their oldest son's name is Osama and um, they are growing in the Lord and, and in Jordan. Next slide, please. We had, um, just as we are about to go back, this was a year ago, July, we uh, were welcomed into the world, our, our fourth and our only son, Jack. We named him Jack Gilead after my grandfather's name, Jack. And uh, Gilead is the ancient name. And you see in the Old Testament, Gilead is the uh, name for what's sort of now Jordan, the hills of Northern Jordan. And uh, here's Aelin and Tessa who are both born in Jordan. 
and um, we're on a little picnic as a family in the hills of Gilead. His, uh, and I know many of you prayed, and I just thank you so much for supporting us in your prayers. Uh, about 10 days after we were set to go back to Jordan, uh, we had bags packed and tickets in hand. He was, at, it was diagnosed for his last pediatrician's appointment. We were supposed to leave, diagnosed with a fused suture in his skull, and he uh, needed to have pretty quick emergency operation on it so that his brain could keep growing. It was being squished, so it's just pushing out on his front and back. And um, through the, the quick and decisive counsel of both our, our elders at Lombard Gospel Chapel and through um, just feeling like this is a, a stop in the door for, this is a stop right now. He needed to have uh, this surgery and it was going to be at least six months of recovery, which came to us was quite a, quite a stop. Uh, next slide, please. And in the course of his treatment, which praise God has finished and he's healing really nicely and normally he still has um, some checkups uh, to make sure his brain is growing and developing, but he's a happy, wonderful little, little boy in the midst of, uh, of that and our delayed return to Jordan, we came to the realization through some, some wise counsel and through our prayers that this door for our time in Jordan was closing. I went back in March and actually closed our apartment and praise God, there's a new team that's actually taking on the aquaponics project and is really moving forward with it. Uh, hopefully, I will be able to continue to give counsel and, um, and training to them as they progress forward. But now we are transitioning to a ministry in the Chicagoland area, um, Lombard Gospel Chapel, which we send greetings from this morning, where we are in fellowship, uh, figuring out how to, and we are in the midst of doing an outreach among Muslims in our area. Our, our county where we're, we're now is uh, over 60,000 Muslims just in our county. It's one of the highest, not in percentage, but if you compare like per capita in the whole country of Muslims. And many of them, I'd say most of them are Pakistani, Arabic speaking, or Turks. So we speak, Amy speaks Turkish and I speak Arabic. And um, in the whole wider Chicago land, you know, Chicago is so big, it gets a Chicago land at the end, uh, this whole area is some estimates up to a half a million Muslims in the area. And um, next, uh, actually, I'm going to read this passage, which has been profoundly uh, impactful on our ministry in Jordan. And now we're seeing a way in which uh, the nations have come on our, on our doorstep in America now, and the Lord positioning us to reach them with the gospel here in the United States for as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown up it to sprout out sprout up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. What a wonderful promise that is. Wow. Well, here we are positioned with language ability and with um, some growing friendships already with Turks and Arabs in um, the Chicagoland area to uh, can you go to the next slide, please? to proclaim the hope that we have to people who are coming from places who have both never heard where, where they're coming from, nor have they been engaged with the gospel in any meaningful sense where they are now. So on this list are um, the, some of the unreached people groups of the Chicago area, and uh, the ones in green are Muslim people groups. And uh, we have Jordanians, Pakistanis, Persians, 
Moroccans, Iraqis, Palestinians, Bosnians. There's also Turks of um, various parts of the Turkic speaking world. And our prayer is that the, those who are hungry for righteousness would knock as um, this friend, this friend of mine from Yemen knocks on the door and Jesus would be the answer as he is to all who call upon his name. Um, next slide, please. And so some prayer requests as we conclude and as we, uh, as I conclude and share about our family's transition and how we are moving forward, that we continue to um, re remember Jordan, in our prayers, this family that uh, I said, it's really neat to, to see them now engaging uh, Jordan. It's a kind of a, we didn't lead them to the Lord, but we were privileged to see them uh, grow in the midst of, of our time in Jordan. And uh, for this aquaponics project, it is in the process of being relaunched, not at the hotel, but on another location with um, uh, two different couples who are really um, wanting to use it to um, continue to push forward into desert communities, into urban ref refugee areas, into densely populated places where agriculture is not usually possible. And back in the Chicagoland area, we have a, a three-day soccer camp that is just the beginnings of uh, outreach to this um, Arab community in a, one of the Chicago neighborhoods. So I'm um, working with some of the youth, even at uh, the chapel, some college students and high school students who have volunteered to be soccer coaches to, for up to 50 Arab Muslim kids that will be coming to this camp. So we keep that in our prayers too, that it would be just great opportunities to get to know some of the families in the, in the area. And then um, at, at the chapel, we're hoping to host uh, with Amy and I being the, the coordinators of hosting international students at the community college, all, almost all of whom are coming from Muslim-majority countries. And we'd really like to see um, college students paired with um, a ministry from the chapel. And uh, God's grace for us as a family, we've gone through a crazy amount of transition this last year with Jack's um, surgery and healing, and then we've had to move four times. And uh, we're just starting to kind of imagine what settling will look like. Uh, but in all of those transitions, we've seen God's goodness and his provision. In fact, not a day in my whole life has God done any, me any wrong. And in fact, only good has he done. And I keep that really a treasured reality that his mercy is good, sufficient as it is for the day and for you too. Uh, and then as we um, kind of settle our family in the, in the, in the, in the area that um, we would have many opportunities to engage with Muslims and the gospel that we have, the gospel hope that we have. Even uh, every time we've been to a park uh, in the recent summer months as the weather has gotten nice, we meet Muslims everywhere in the parks and in, in, in the streets and cafes. And um, here's Amy and Jack with two uh, Pakistani ladies, Algerian ladies. Didn't even remember that, but that's amazing given what we just talked about. Yeah, and so we want to do some um, outreach, very uh, strategic outreach, maybe in setting up book tables that we'd give out Bibles and just talk to people in parks about the hope that we have. And Muslims, for encouragement to you, uh, are, are not like Westerners in some ways, in many ways. In fact, sometimes religion and politics are two things that people don't really want to talk about because they're awkward or they you know rile people up. But in my experience... Uh, Arab Muslims uh, will very, very quick to get into a discussion of religion. And um, it's uh, not, not too difficult, actually, to 
give a, give a reason for your, the hope that you have. Uh, there's great ways to grow in that, but just to even begin by asking Muslims what they believe and, um, and sharing the hope that you have, that your sins are forgiven and that you have a great and wonderful inheritance in the Lord Jesus who gave himself for us to purify himself, to purify us as a people for his own possession. Thank you for um, your, your prayer. And thank you for this time inviting me to speak and to be a part of the fellowship this morning. Let's pray in conclusion. Father in heaven, we thank you that you cannot be stopped. Your gospel to the nations, like a seed that grows in the midst of, uh, of a nation, of nations, Christ the King is being proclaimed in the world. We thank you that here, even this morning, that our worship is incredible, not just defense, but offense against the enemy and against his schemes. Lord, may we be united as a people. May we be a blood-bought people who reflect the glories to the world. We thank you for Christ, our Savior, in whom we have a spirit-filled life and holy hope. We pray for the ministry of, of your word all over the world, that it bears fruit. And as we see even pushback against the gospel, we thank you that you have promised you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Hallelujah. What a savior, what a wonderful savior we have. And in his, in his life and name, we go today. May you enable us to do your will and to um, proclaim this great and wonderful hope to the world around us who may see us and be jealous for what we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.